0: Hello and welcome to Tech Talks with Jack Pierce and Josie Rollins. You are listening to the Tech Talks podcast published on Mondays and Thursdays for the love of tech. Coming up on today's show, we are talking to Ian Tickle. Uh, the general manager for a mayor at domo and then we will be looking at news from the bbc and a new source of content both news sources are about drones jose hello hello, hello. Ha- happy monday
1: happy happy monday happy birthday? we've got happy?
0: <laughs> yeah well we've got what five days officially left of work until we break for christmas that's pretty exciting You've got
1: four and a half really. yes i have four and a
0: half yes yes i have four and a half days i'm leaving early on friday to get back to essex and miss the rush home um but yeah very excited our christmas party was a great hit last week wasn't it
1: yeah really
0: good hit yeah no real dramas to speak of well Some drama to speak of. But yeah, as far as Christmas parties go, pretty good going. Everyone was happy.
1: Everyone was not so happy the next day, but the night itself was pretty good.
0: I mean, if you ever want to see... Uh, like the post-apocalyptic state of a recruitment firm just go in the day after a Christmas party and you'll get as close to that as possible I think
1: I think the smell of fast food also just continually made you may feel sick the whole day
0: I've never seen so, so many fast food wrappers on our pod but also bottles of water I think we all had one of those two litre bottles of water in front <laughs> of us all of us had Lucas Aid all of us had a bacon sandwich of some sort so um, it was a good evening though it was a good evening we're recording must say we're recording on Monday for a change so we are well up to date which does mean that the news articles should be so fresh. Um, but yeah, so Dave, this is his penultimate show before he returns. The penult- penultimate show before he returns. Um, he's still living the dream in Mauritius, still following Megan Wes round. I actually saw him having a go. At- he's <laughs> so Dave. He was on his Instagram and he's, tweet- uh, he's Instagramming his resort and... There's a bloke teaching another bloke to fish in the section of the beach that the hotel owns. And in typical Dave complaining fashion, he's gone, hey, blah, blah, blah resort. Do you really think this is a good idea? People fishing in the in the hotel residence, beach, blah, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Dave, let them have it, man. But then I suppose he does raise a fair point. Like, what if someone's swimming and they get caught by a fish line?
1: Yeah, I mean I mean it's a fair point, but it's very Dave just to Instagram it. I mean go yeah. up to the reception and face to face. So Dave, the the I mean, digital aggressive.
0: Yeah, the digital troll that he is. <laughs> uh, I'm just joking, Dave, you're not a digital troll at all. We love you very much. And we can't wait for you to come back. So, uh moving on to today's interview. Um Ian is the general manager for a mayor for Domo. Um yeah, he we talks about all things regarding data all things regarding transparency and also curiosity, um, which is a point that we've barely talked about in the show before. So, yeah, over to Ian and Dave.
2: We are joined by Ian. Ian, you work for Domo. Yes. Domo, an organisation that, I'll be perfectly honest, until we were introduced, I didn't know a huge amount about. What is your role at Domo and who are Domo? Great, thanks very much. Pleased, Pleased to meet you. Um, Domo is an
3: organisation that helps businesses change the way that they are run and manage. Mm. We're an eight-year-old organisation founded by a gentleman called Josh James, who previously was the CEO of a company called Omniture. as he later sold on to Adobe and Josh is generally one of those very curious individuals. He has a, a passion for information, he's very interested in how businesses are running and he found that every time he was asking a question about the, the state of the health of the business, the answer was always, let me go and run a report, or I'll come back to you. And these are simple questions. How many how many headcount have we got? What's the PL looking like? What's the sales forecast looking like? And like all entrepreneurs, he decided that he would go and go and fix that. Yep. And he would go and find a way for businesses to have information available to them so they could make informed decisions around whatever matter was important for the day.
2: So before we come back to Domo in a bit more detail, um, how long have you been with the business? So I've been with Domo for two and a half
3: years. Yep. So my background is I started at NatWest Bank, and then I moved into a business analyst role there and moved into a software company. I was mm-hmm. a, evaluating software companies for the bank and got on really well with one of the software companies and, and went to work there. And from there, I've had a background of working in startups, small organisations around three or four people in Europe and building them up, to organisations such as Adobe, following the Omnister acquisition, mm-hmm. and then I worked for a company called right Now, who was acquired by Oracle, and I spent five years at Oracle helping their cloud transformation from their uh, legacy on-premise business.
2: And you've, you've been in a position where you've managed teams of two or three people, and had organisations of 700-ish. Yeah, like yeah, absolutely.
3: There's been a wide variety. So it, at my last role at Oracle, there was, there was a substantial amount of direct reports and, and ultimate size of the business. Yeah. And then I, I left there to join Domo where there was four of us in Europe. So it was definitely a, a change in the way that we were engaging.
2: So I suppose there's got to be kind of a, an appreciation from your previous roles of how useful data can be when you've got that many people under you as an organisation to kind of understand what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at really simple
3: questions, such as we would do a recruitment review once every two weeks with my boss, and he would say, how many people are there in your organisation? And I'd say, well, there's 12 direct reports and there's 600 in total. And he would say to me, well, look, you've got 12 directs and you've got 497. Mm. And then we'd argue for an hour and a half about why the data was out of date and who had the right data and who didn't. And really that's when the Domo opportunity came around. I looked at the challenges in an organisation the size of Oracle that we were having with just performing data and providing insight to people, and the domo message really resonated with me. And I'll give you a quick example was, really, if you think about it, when you wake up in the morning, um, I look at my phone and it, it tells me about the weather, do I need to take a coat at night, it tells me about my train, is it on time or not, it tells me about all the top headlines in the news that I might be interested in. Yep. And what Domo does is offer me the ability to have the same thing about my business as well. It, it tells me about the
2: state of my business. So how does it how does it work? How does Domo actually go into get into an organization and, and collect the data points that it needs? Yeah, it's a great question. So we very much focus on the
3: business case and the use case. And what we've found is most organizations have some very simple questions that they're trying to answer mm. they are actually incredibly difficult behind the scenes to do. So I'll give you an example of a large uh, CPG organization talking to the chief performance officer. He had a very simple question, which was, where is my digital spend going? Very simple answer, really, which is, well, it's going across 56 brands across 70 countries. But when you look at how you pull that together, and how you bring all that information across all the disparate data sources, all the different reporting methodologies and platforms that they have, Domo brings that into a central location. We create a single application that enables the Chief Performance Officer to see exactly how his brands are performing, where the spend is going. But more important than that, it's all certified, it's governed, it's controlled, so that when his team who reports to him report to him or he has a question regarding that, they're all looking from the same piece of data. Mm-hmm. So they have consistency in the information. So when they go into meetings, there is no disagreement about numbers or figures. It's about what actions do they take on the information that they've already had access to.
2: And you did a report recently? Yeah, absolutely. So we spent quite a bit of
3: time with CEOs and it was quite intriguing about the difference that we saw between CEOs who were trying to drive digital transformation from a from a corporate perspective and those that were doing that internally also as well. And we, we interviewed um, over 300 CEOs across France, UK and Germany and with some really interesting results with regards to, you know, we know 71% of CEOs do care about data. They see that as one of their biggest risks to future longevity is about mm-hmm. how they control the data. They know that they have to have the ability to analyse in uh, real time the information they're receiving to make informed decisions. But when you look at how that then disseminated across the, the industries that they worked within and the, the, the personas of the use cases that they had, we found that only half the CEOs were actually looking at data consistently, and a lot of those were doing it on a desktop. And a lot of that reporting was over a week old. So, there's a fascinating concept there about if if data is over a week old, is that really giving you an informed decision, or is that making a latent conversion or something that may have already taken place?
2: And I suppose to your point about how the data can drive actions and and the way that an organisation operates, did you see correlations between the size of the organisations, or even possibly the different personas of the CEOs? If you had a a younger CEO versus a, an older CEO in the same organisation were different actions coming out of, of that report, or was it far more to do with sector, size of organisation, technical debt or legacy, etc.?
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm always nervous about talking young versus old, especially at the age of <laughs> There's always, a, there's always a, a subjective element behind there. But the, the report did break it out by age. And there, there was definite um, guidelines between the amount of CEOs who were younger, so should we say 25 to 34, who were consuming data more consistently across mm. the day, Versus maybe uh, over forty-five, only sixteen percent of CEOs were looking at data that frequently. But if we if we actually dig into that, it's not so much about age; it is more around the, the the mindset they have around data
2: that has to come from from cultural heritage from the way that you've been used to working for donkey's years, if you've grown up as a, I suppose as a digital native, which is one of those phrases that gets banded around all the time, yeah. and you are maybe slightly younger as a consequence, you're more used to data being part intrinsically of your life in, in different ways.
3: Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I think there's there two things that we saw that were really interesting for us. One was just around curiosity. Yeah. Was the CEO generally curious about data, or did they see it as a function of decision making? And I think that there's a big difference there between the traditional using data to make a decision because that's the way you've always achieved the results versus a I'm just interested in what the business is looking like and how am I driving. But what we did see was interesting. From the younger CEO, tended to feel that they made decisions based on gut. They felt like they were just taking a a decision because they they knew that was inherently the right thing to do. And the the, the 45-year-olds and and above was really looking at much more of a uh, a performance-orientated, report-driven, let's look at the data, let's look at the facts and and move forward. So when we actually looked at that, what we realised was the CEOs who felt they were taking a decision based on gut, were actually the CEOs who were constantly consuming data as well. And when we digged into that element of the report, it was fascinating to look at. It was actually an informed gut decision. It wasn't just one that they were making from their gut because they consumed so much information. They actually had far more context to the decision making than they felt they had because they were continually looking at the information that they're required to drive their business.
2: So obviously they're they're looking at lots of data. It's informing a decision and driving an outcome. What are some of the working practices that you tend to see coming out of an organisation that does have a better understanding of its data. I mean, I suppose, I suppose it, it depends largely on what the organisation does and what kind of data they yeah. get. But, but broadly speaking, how does that affect working practices or culture? Well, what we saw from a culture
3: perspective was around the common goal setting and the common vision setting. So, for those organisations, not necessarily from a corporate perspective, but from a role perspective. So, say for example, one of our customers is focused on. Um, S&OP, S&OP, so sales and operations planning, <coughs> which is how can we make our forecasting more accurate? How can we speed this up? How can we then impact our supply chain? The, the goal from that business unit was very clear as to the benefits that they wanted to take from, from information and data. Now, what that drove was a curiosity down the organisation as well. And we see this in many organisations where the CEO is generally immersed in information. And if you think about the ability for a CEO now to have information practically pushed to them, I'll give an example of one of the sales organisations we talked to. The the CEO knows proactively any time a sales rep, who's three or four levels below them inside the the hierarchy, moves a deal in or out of commit. That's because we proactively notify the customer that something's taken place and has changed. Now, if you think about if the CEO knows that with immediate effect, the downstream positive impact that has on the rest of the reporting chain, they also have the ability to know that as well. So, it means that the entire organisation becomes more curious and informed, which changes a complete behaviour change, because then when you go to a meeting, if you've already got the information to hand, you're not looking at information and understanding it to drive decisions, you've already got in your head about the benefits of the place that you're at or the issues that you need to address. So, it can be far more focused on, actually, do you what, let's have time to think about how we drive the business forward let's not spend time looking at reports we understand the pre-reading let's look at how we can drive the business in a very positive way it was interesting before we hit
2: record you were talking about kind of the relationship that you have with your management and that kind of desire to please and, and I have that kind of instinct in me that which is always kind of oh god please try and p- impress upon my manager that I am doing a good job I really honestly I am doing a good job and yes. I suppose when you have that transparency of data to a certain degree it alleviates that pressure of having to explain yourself constantly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we're a
2: great example of of using our own platform. So Josh is very
3: keen on transparency. He he knows everything that I'm working on. He can see all of the the metrics that we measure my business across from sales, mm. marketing, operations, finance. And we do the same with our, our board. We, practically allow the board to see how the company is performing and where we're working. So when we have the board meetings, there's not a, a traditional let us present to you about how the business is performing. There's a much more collaborative environment around, okay, we know how the business is performing. Let's take time to think about how we can optimize the business to be a bit more effective. And that's a different mindset that you go into meetings with. It's, you don't sit there and just listen and, and be presented at it. It's much more collaborative and it drives great creativity as well. And in fact, there's a Harvard Business Review around curiosity inside workplace and how effective businesses could be if you employ people who are genuinely curious. Right. And I, I have to double check. I think it's about 37% more effective organisations because people are curious and you give them the ability to be curious because that's where creativity comes from. If you think of your environment where you're sitting there looking at static reporting and you're, you're pushed information mm. and you're just looking at KPI-orientated information. If we can embrace curiosity inside the organisation, make sure it's governed, make sure it's certified, make sure that everything's controlled, but let's make sure that we enable people to to really look at information and work out, what could we do, how could we change, what would be the way that we could be a positive
2: impact? That's really what Diamond enables people to do. Now, I would imagine, just as a last point, that your typical customer is a larger organization where there's lots of data points. and Maybe that curiosity is stifled by organizational inertia and culture. Um, but at the same time, obviously, if you're dealing with younger CEOs, that makes me imagine that maybe you're dealing with a number of different startups. Um, is Domo t- typically working with those larger organizations, or actually is there some really interesting data that can come out of smaller, leaner, younger organisations where you'd imagine they'd already have a fairly good handle on what's going on anyway because they're not of a certain size.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that we have a beautiful blend, we really do, of, of enterprise customers but also with uh, emerging organisations. And, and the common thread is the curiosity, again, to go back to that. But If we, if we look at probably where the culture fits Domo, mm-hmm. That's probably more of a, rather than enterprise or market segmentation, it's around culture. Where Domo excels is where you know, we have organisations where they, they, they have a clear company mission, they have processes, they have people and they have technology. Mm-hmm. And, and if we can help and bring those three things together, where we enable people to be far more informed on the way that the business is in, in working and the positive impact they can bring, that's brilliant for us, that's where it really works. If we're talking to an organisation, large or small, and they're very much around um, analytics is a byproduct of performance. That's something where we we probably don't excel with much, we do. but all of our use cases from large customers and small customers, their specific business value, they have that one question that they want to answer that they're unable to answer at this moment in time. And that's where we bring all the pieces together and enable them to collaborate and, and bring that information forward.
2: I suppose when, when we're talking about large organisations, you can immediately go, oh, I see how this can help them. It, it helps them become more curious. Maybe it helps with innovation. Obviously, they're large. So they're going to have lots of kind of uh, inertia to work through. But with a, with a smaller organisation, I do suppose that it's a little bit harder to see exactly how you can make a positive difference to a business. Are there any interesting user cases where you can go, actually, this is what we've really done to help them?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And and Josh and the board and the entire executive team are very, very passionate around using technology for good as well, for, for, for benefit to non-enterprise organisations where there's value to somebody's personal life. And. We work with a gentleman called Mark Brandt, who Ooh. is a, a, he's an individual out of the US. He had some tough times, he found himself on the street and, uh, and found his way out. Mm. And He's created this environment where he, rather than trying to help homeless by giving them money or, or, or funding them, he's created a restaurant, a chain of restaurants, where you as an individual can purchase a, a ticket and rather than giving the homeless a ticket, you give them, sorry, give them money, you give them a ticket, yep. and what you do then is they then go to the restaurant and they can have a meal, and they can feed themselves, and they, and they can and they get all the substance that they require. And we work with Mark on helping his supply chain, and helping optimise his business to make sure that he has the, the right amount of food in the right place for the right amount of tickets that have been purchased. So it's, a, it's an interesting supply chain use case for us, which we have many across the enterprise business, but this one's really quite touching because you know you're actually helping somebody help other people.
2: Probably makes it a less stuffy atmosphere than many restaurants that you can find in London. <laughs> I,
3: I, I would imagine that's probably very true, but it's, it's, it's great to be able to help people as well with technology. There's, yeah. there's lots of great tech out there helping helping individuals who so are very proud to be part of that process.
2: Well, look, it's a really interesting story. I mean, from, from a consumer point of view, I often collect personal data on my activities and then wonder what the heck to do with it. So <laughs> it's good to know that there are organisations making sense of all this. Data that they're collecting. Um, but thank you for coming in and, and spending a bit of time uh, having a chat
0: with us. You're welcome. Thanks very much. So, Ian from Domo. Um, I just wanted to give our listeners a bit more of an overview on Domo for the sort of non tech literate people out there like myself. Um, so, Domo is essentially a central app platform. Where all of your business's data, relevant information, key information, headcount, KPIs, yada, 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 is all formed into this one beautiful app. And I must say, it's rather beautiful. Um, so immediately, you can see this as a tool for continuous improvement for businesses, right, Joyce?
1: Yeah, so it's thinking about how we can actually utilize data to drive actions and make a business essentially more efficient and, mm. and really optimize the information mm. um and like you said it's truly in one platform it's simple it's transparent um and it's looking at kind of how we can use data and digital to yep. essentially you know improve businesses
0: yeah yeah i mean i know when it's board report day here at our work we have to go through loads of pieces of information to find out what we're presenting and ian says it here you know their board meetings they don't need those presentations on performance they've all got it on their phones ready to go so they can actually talk about you know what they're going to implement in the next quarter you know what okay these are these are the sales figures we've got let's improve that rather than wasting time talking about that it's like well it's here it's easy let's go
1: it, it's literally a typical example of how we can use technology to make our lives easier but also save time yeah. Um. It's a fact that you walk into a meeting and you've already got all the information. You don't need someone to stand in front of you and tell you about it. Mm. And that also means that you've already digested it. You already know what points you're gonna make mm. and you already know what you wanna discuss before you even sit down. Mm. Whereas otherwise you're sitting there making notes while someone tells you about it. Yep. And then you have to think on the spot, well, what is the issue here? Which could then lead to you having follow-up questions after the meeting yep. and no platform to voice them.
0: Yep, totally. It's um. It's tech alleviating the boring, shitty jobs again for us, right? We you know it's sort of. I mentioned it in my article last week, and we had Emily on from Luminance saying how machine learning there at uh, the law firm is really enabling young people to dive into the job rather than do all this boring data collection tasks and combing through contracts, you know. And you're right, it really is technology that is is helping us, it's enabling us. Um, I wanted to talk about one really, really cool point um, informed gut decision. Now, I. I think that's a fantastic way of a, a millennial, you know, this this modern person consuming all data. You know, we all consume data a lot, especially under the age of 35 we're on our phones all the time, we're consuming data. But then they're more likely to react on the spot as their gut tells them to. But in actual fact, their gut is being informed by the countless amount of information and data that's been fed to them. So if you put that in a in, in a take it out of perspective and put yourself in Domo's shoes. This is really giving them information to act on their gut sort of thing. All, they, all the data is there readily available. They go, all right, fine, what's my natural reaction? It's to react in this way or that way. And I think that's really cool.
1: Well, personally, I think it's a bit of an oxymoron. Okay, like, yeah. You can't have a gut-informed decision.
0: Right, good it's- point.
1: If you have a gut decision, that is the decision you make on the spot yep. to decide what you think mm. is best. Mm. And I think it's ironic that I've literally always said this, that no one just has one decision off the bat. You always have something that makes you think that. Yeah. And if you think into it, you could always come up with a reason. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know, use the typical example of like politics. Someone yeah. asks you an opinion, yeah. you'll say an opinion, and then they'll say, well, why do you think that? And then you go, oh, because I read the news the other day and this happened and I read this and this happened. And actually you've been informed by so much information that you don't even realise that that's why you've come to that decision.
0: Your gut naturally reacts on experience, right? I think, I suppose the difference here, especially to use the example you've given there, and I'm not saying this is the case for every person from different generations because it's just not But um, uh, a younger person is more likely, and again, very use that very loosely, more likely to have done the research and read up on it because you can get bite-sized pieces of information on politics in tweets and stuff like that. And then to regurgitate that point of view off the back of that downloading data, whereas I suppose some uh, some Brexiteers will shout, we should leave the EU to stop immigration. And that decision is not informed, that is just based on generations of xenophobia within their family. And I don't mean to offend, but that is, you know, sometimes the case.
1: Well, it's kind of like the point that Ian makes about age versus young. Yes. I know he kind of shows away from it and Dave kind of pushes that point out there. <laughs> but it is true, you know, he said over over 45s, only 16% were using data more frequently, and then it's also how you digest that data because those over 45s were thinking, right, I need to know every single fact Mm. before I can use this data efficiently, Mm -hmm. whereas younger people who are used to, like you say, scrolling through, used to picking out the fake news versus the, the relevant news are the people that are saying, well, actually, no, I don't need to know everything. I just need to know what's relevant. Yeah. And they're much more like equipped at picking out the relevant pieces of information to make that kind of gut decision.
0: Yeah, yeah. And look, I'm, we're, we're not saying that younger people are always going to be right because they're definitely not. But to put that time in and almost to Domo yourself, you know, collate all the data you have internally into one seamless bite-sized piece of information is, yeah, I think I, th- I think it's a great idea what Domo are going and doing. They're obviously very successful already um one last point i wanted to mention i mean ian talks a lot around curiosity and how it enables creativity it helps you embrace it um we were always taught from a young age that curiosity kills the cat but we're learning now that perhaps it's good to be curious
1: i think it's definitely gonna yeah. be curious i think you know we were at that panel discussion a couple of weeks ago about how the way that we develop our own businesses is by asking questions yep so it's not necessarily being curious in the fact that you know, you have to look at something so in depth that you actually get lost in it. Mm. But it's just saying, you know, if you turned around to me today and said, well, do this. And I go, well, why would I do that? Because I already have it. Just edit this. Yeah. And then you will go, okay, so why did you do... It's just it's just thinking about things in a much more logical way. Mm. Thinking about how you could actually use things in the best manner. And the way to do that is to ask questions yep. and to be curious. Yeah. Um, and to really kind of develop your own understanding.
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, curiosity did kill the cat. But... I,
1: Not killing businesses.
0: Exactly, yeah, and it's it's certainly enable. It, it might kill the cat, but it enables the entrepreneur. I think. What I think
1: um, well, the only thing I did have a question about that was. Yeah. How on earth do you tell if someone is curious? Because he kind of said, you know, thirty-seven percent more effective organisations come from curious individuals. Yeah. How do you tell if someone is curious?
0: It's a very very interesting point. I mean, I suppose you can kind of quantify it by. Asking them if they'd ask questions.
1: Well, I call myself curious, but that doesn't mean that if someone asks me a certain amount of questions, I may qualify as You're not curious.
0: curious. You're just nosy, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Nosy Josie. Have I never called you that before? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so thanks very much to Ian Tickle there from Domo. Um, I think we need to take Domo's OS system and install it into our brains and help us form memories and produce data internally. But now... Time for a quick message from our partners.
2: As our listeners are aware, we have a wonderful deal for them via audible.co.uk forward slash tech talks, a free month's trial. And Christmas is coming up, isn't it, Jack?
0: It very much is. It's it's so close now. People have got their Christmas trees up, shops have got their decorations out. It's we're in the final rungs of the lead up to Christmas now.
2: Michael Buble is around every corner. Exactly. Now. If you go onto Audible, Mm. what would you buy for your Christmas stocking filler? Do
0: you know what? It's a little bit different it's a little bit out there, but fans of the BBC programme People Just Do Nothing will know that the character Chapadi G has put out a comedy book, um, How To Be A Man, and it all pokes fun at his character and so on and so forth. And if you get the audio version, it's him narrating it as well.
2: I'm sure it's delightful. It's not very festive.
0: Not very festive, but I guarantee you it's hilarious.
2: Good, well, for balance, you could also, of course, go on and download The Snowman and the Snow Dog.
0: Yeah, or Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol.
2: Absolutely. So, audible.co.uk forward slash tech talks. Why don't you find yourself a little treat for the festive season? Have
0: a book on us. It is now time for Monday's news. Right, today's news, Joes. Um, nothing to do with the interview, um, but both news pieces are linked to each other. So they're both about drones. And I just want to start with um, an article I found on the BBC over the weekend. And the the headline is, Why Your Pizza May Never Be Delivered by Drone, uh, as written by Jessica Bound, technology of business reporter. Um, now... You know what we're like here on the show, Josh You're part of it now. So we always want to dispel negativity around technology, okay? Now, this article, it's really well written. I've got no problem with the article, but I have a massive problem with it, actually, in the sense that this looks at why drones won't deliver pizzas and i'd much rather it be how we can enable drones to deliver pizzas a because it will get those scooters off of our roads dave no i'm joking (laughs) i'm joking i'm joking joking. although if you saw my instagram over the weekend you would see and i know this road because it's in nashville where they do these scooters like they do boris bikes and this woman jumps on a scooter and she just goes flying on it. And then someone dubbed the Kirby Enthusiasm music over it. Oh, it was hilarious. I'll try and get it out on the, uh, on the Tech Talks Instagram page today. Anyway, so I'm just going to give you um, a brief overview and then we're going to take this article apart. Okay, Jose? So, for years, tech companies such as Amazon, Alphabet and Uber have promised us delivery drones, bringing goods to our doorsteps in a matter of minutes. So why are they taking so long? One word. Regulation. Who has left their phone on in the recording studio? We let Ryder in two times. Last week, coughing up the show. Oh, oh my God. So the reply is actually from Dave on Twitter. He can't can't stay away. Anyway, so um, one word, it's regulation. That's what's been holding us back. If our skies are becoming as crowded as our streets, they're not going to become as crowded as our streets, for fuck's sake. Airspace rules need updating to prevent accidents terrorist attacks and related problems. So terrorist attacks comes in straight away before related problems such as noise pollution. See,
1: this is really interesting because I was actually reading a data article the other day about how it was the way people think they're going to die versus, <laughs> I live a very happy life, versus the way they actually die, right? Okay, oh, and wow. it was percentages. So it was something stupid, like 25% of people said that terrorism could be the reason that they die right and if it was actually it was something stupid like it wasn't even on there well
0: it's I mean, going to be like, like zero point 0. yeah million, yeah
1: or something stupid and then the actual, obviously, main killer was heart disease, which didn't even factor in <laughs> people's minds.
0: No, 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 not bothered about that. So
1: it's just funny that <laughs> the first thing they've put there is terrorism because they know that people will instantly go, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Do yeah, you know what I
0: mean? I mean, the, the, in the government internet. spend more money on, uh, on the army than they do on health, so I wouldn't worry too much about that. Um, but anyway, look, we're not even in their points yet, Josie, and we're picking it apart. I love it. Um, so the first point <laughs> they start on... And I'm not having a go here at the writer at all. I just am picking holes in the fact that these are the issues why drones won't deliver our pizzas. Okay. Noise nuisances. So they've been, they've been trialling this in Canberra in Australia. Um, and the locals in the Australian suburb of Bonithon, Canberra, for much the same thing um, regarding noise um, when Google owner Alphabet's delivery drone service, Wing, began to deliver fast food there. Uh, so one quote from a local resident is, with the windows closed, even with double glazing, you can hear the drones. Right, now I just wanna add a quick point there. Uh, my friend from Australia was over at the weekend and she said that no one has central heating in Australia, but they will have double glazed windows. Very bizarre point. Anyway, so unless it's a chainsaw kind of noise, right? Can you actually really hear this? I want, I don't know. I haven't actually heard a drone, mm. but I live next door, like probably about a hundred yards from the DLR line and you, it drowns out, right? You get used to it. Just like you get used to the thousand and one uh, sirens that go past at night. Mm. Do you know what my way around this is? Noise pollution laws kick into place at 10 o'clock in the UK. Stop drone deliveries at 10 o'clock.
1: Well, I just think it's funny that we go from a recent study by NASA, which you'll huge, <laughs> to one local resident. One local resident.
0: That's one person. That is not a big enough sample size. And then we go on here to... Uh, Yves Moria of the European Aviation Safety, Safety Agency says, right, noise pollution has been an area of debate during the drafting of the new European rules. That's the point. It's been a topic of debate. Okay, so they're debating it. That's a good sign. That is not enough of a reason. Unless, like I say, they're coming in at chainsaw-type noise levels at midnight, giving you your pizza, then fair enough. But other than that, I don't actually believe that. Anyway, next point, rogue drones. Uh, Last month, a rogue drone closed Wellington Airport in New Zealand while a UK drone user was charged with endangering lives by flying too close to a police helicopter. Uh, And the Venezuelan president, Nicolás Maduro, said he was recently the target of a drone, and in air quotes, attack. So, I mean, if they're going to put it in air quotes, was it really an attack? Uh,
1: I think arguably this kind of links back to what they're saying about there being no regulation. Yes. like It's kind of like if we didn't have rules about driving a car then you just do whatever the hell you wanted, wouldn't
3: you? Absolutely.
1: And seeing as they currently have no rules about these things, then I'm sure there is someone stupid enough to fly it into an airport. There's someone stupid enough to fly it too close to a helicopter. Yep. But that doesn't mean that that is what would always happen.
0: No, no. I think, uh, like, there's always going to be idiots. You know, if, if we were worried about crashing our cars all the time, we'd have never invented the car. You know, it's, you need to get around the issues for it to, 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 to you know actually apply it. Um, you know, my point is here, I think maybe you should have a certain license if you're going to fly at a certain height. So let's say if you want to fly your drone over 100 feet, then you need to have a license for that. That's done. That's your route around that. And then, you know, if someone does go too close to a helicopter, they're banned. Simple. Um, one other point from Eves Moria, again, who's fast becoming... Oh, Eves is a, a male. Sorry, Yves. Um, who's fast becoming an enemy of mine. Again, quote here, rogue drone use is a major concern for us. That's it.
1: Well, obviously it's a major concern. Yeah,
0: just like, you know, in America, I'm sure gun control is a major concern. But are they doing anything about that? No! Next point, are they safe?
1: This article just stresses safe so much.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And... It needs to be more balanced, i just say that. It needs more balanced argument, I think.
0: This is what we're doing here, Joe's. We're yeah. giving it some balance and we're actually tipping it back in our favour um, because, you know, the quote from Mr Morier here is, the biggest challenge is to reduce the risk of collisions between drones and other aircraft. Then, um, beyond visual line of sight, BVLOS, um, as the uh, anagram, whatever you want to call it, uh, where drones travel autonomously or are controlled by pilots remotely are only likely to become viable once detect and avoid technology has been approved so we're saying here that we need to install uh, detect and what did i say detect and avoid technology now if you're telling me we have the technology to invent drones we definitely can invent the technology it's going to stop them bashing into each other right yeah dead simple next lack of standards is the next point whose fault's that if they allowed users a seat at the table, the regulation table, we'd have had regulation for this fucking long time ago. There's two points I wanted to pick up on here. More than 50 countries belong to the joint authorities for rulemaking of unmanned systems, and a final set of standards is yet to be agreed. Right. Too many camel, uh, too many cooks spoil the broth, right? You've got 50 people trying to agree on the laws. It sounds like Brexit to me. Um, <laughs> another throwaway point here in Saudi Arabia, all drones are banned. Okay, well, I don't think Saudi Arabia are the best country to, you know, put our standards on. I think female drivers only became legal last year. I don't think we should be governed by or anywhere close to Shara Law. Next point. And then I just wanted to finish up with um, the point that other concerns are that video clip drones also pose a threat to birds. (laughs) So, I mean,
1: we all love animals, but again, right. surely there's a way that can stop is, that from
0: happening. There is an issue here. This is the only issue that I really buy into. Forget terrorist attacks and rubbish like that. You know that video recently of um, uh, a polar bear and its cub emerging from their winter sleep, their hibernation, and they climb, scale the side of a mountain. Mum gets to the top and the baby struggles, and after two minutes, the baby gets there. Now, there was a lot of people saying that the only reason the baby took so long and the reason the mum wasn't down helping it was because they were scared of the drone filming it. Right. Okay. That You know, that's not a natural thing for them to see. No birds would hover over a, a polar bear because they're not going to be able to pick it up to eat it. So that that is an issue. Um, if, in fact, you know, that is true, then, yeah, maybe... I mean, then flying too close to birds is a rubbish excuse. Birds have some of the sharpest reaction times on the planet birds aren't the issue but if they're going to scare animals coming out of hibernation then something needs to yeah, be done that about just that
1: comes back to regulation doesn't
0: it yes exactly exactly it does um right i think we've successfully negated around that there um now look again this was not an, not a not us taking aim at bbc at all it's more like we would rather the article be like well this is what mr eves moria has said at uh, european aviation safety agency Let's give a more balanced view on how we counteract his points. And then, yeah, we haven't been that balanced here, but we're giving the balance to the article. And the technology for drones is incredible because my next article, written by Sarah McQuaid, Washington, is all about bees and drones. Now, I don't think, uh, I think we're running out of time here, so I just want to talk about it some bit and then get your views on it, Joes. Engineers have created a sensing system small enough to ride aboard a bumblebee. The system's tiny rechargeable battery lasts for seven hours of flight and recharges while the bees are in the hive at night. The system could one day replace drones to soar over huge farm fields and monitor temperature, humidity, or crop health. Drones need so much power to fly, they can't get very far without needing a charge, say 10 or 20 minutes, whereas bees are out all day and then they go back to the hive. Um, it's very small. It's the size of, some I think, a few grains of rice, and... Um, and it's very light as well. So basically, before we go into... Or to save us from going too much into science, the article was posted by Futricity. and We'll put it in the show notes. But this is amazing, right? And I've I chose this article just to back up what we were talking about earlier, that if they're worried about drones with detect and avoid technology, but if someone else has managed to get a drone-style technology on the back of a bee... Now, it doesn't fly the bee. The bee flies itself. But if they can do that with bees, then they can do anything with drones, right...
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it just shows the capability of what you can do if you really think about things. And I think, ironically, this is actually... I know you said earlier about like, the news isn't really as related to the uh, article, but this is about data. Mm, it's mm. about using drones to collect data yep. and then use that data to essentially improve crop health yep. and, you know, that field and, and improve their, their work. Yeah.
0: absolutely. Um, totally. all it. I mean, my, my only issue here is... Um, vegans <laughs> i mean and, and, uh,
1: that do you know what the first thing that came to my head when i read this was yeah. well we're gonna be screwed then because aren't the bees all dying <laughs> yeah
0: the bees are going out of uh they're, they're dropping off at an alarming rate uh, and to <laughs> sorry i'm, I'm not poking files at this but to for, in the initial tests to get their monitors on the back of the bees they they made the bees cold to make them move slower so they could put it on now i don't know if that's humane i'm sure it's not humane but you know Bees have been helping the human race for for thousands of years with honey. So, you know, maybe we should look at other ways that bees can help us as a race. That said, yeah, there is some issues there. Um, vegans and animal activists, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I'm not taking the piss, I promise you that. Um, one more show for us, then Josie, first day show, and then, um, bar humbug Dave's back.
1: Yep, Dave will be back.
0: And wonder how many more complaints he's got about his hotel or anything like that. Only Dave could complain when he's in Mauritius, couldn't he?
1: Yeah, I'm sure you'll hear them on the next show. Well, the show after next.
0: Exactly, exactly. So thank you for listening and we'll see you Thursday.